Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. A little over a week ago, Melanie and I had the opportunity to attend a pastor's dinner, Christmas party-ish kind of thing. I don't know, you know, gift exchange, you know, but it was it was just pastors and it was over in Placerville, California. So uh, we drove over to it and and um, uh, in the um, you know 12 years that we've been or 13 years that we've been here, we've all this only second time we've been able to go. Um, But anyway, uh, they always have a challenge um, by, uh, you know, an, an older, experienced pastor uh, to kind of challenge all the rest of the pastors and their wives. And um, <clears throat> this year was no different. A, a guy named uh, Dr. David Ennis uh, spoke to us. Uh, he uh, he has pastored uh, for over 60 years. Um, he's 92, I think, and <clears throat> uh, pastors... Uh, in downtown San Francisco. Uh, but anyway, he made the trip over and he challenged us. But he he made a statement that when he made the statement, I, I, I was just I was I was just dumbfounded. I had never I had never thought about it. And <clears throat> because it was a, a a banquet or you know thing, I didn't have my Bible with me or my notes or anything. But as soon as he made the statement, I grabbed my phone and I, you know how you, those of you that have smartphones, you can make notes in your smart, and I started typing away because I did not want to forget this quote. But this is the quote. Y'all ready for this? Christmas is the humiliation of God. And when he said that, I sat there and I went, what? Christmas is the humiliation of God. Then he went on to say this. When Christ humbled himself to take on flesh, excuse me, the flesh of men, it was the ultimate form of humiliation for an almighty God. And I, I just I just sat there and I thought I had he's right. But I had never I had never thought about that. As I contemplated this <clears throat> over the next several days, it helped me put in perspective a little bit better what the Christmas story is truly about. The humiliation of an almighty God. Now there's no question that the purpose why Jesus came, we sang about it this morning in the very first song, he came to die. That is the purpose of the of Christmas. The purpose of Christmas, the, the purpose of his coming was so that he could die for your sins and for mine. That was that's the purpose. <clears throat> Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
In 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 10, it says, uh, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, that word propitiation, I want to talk about that for a second because that is an awesome word. Most of us, I, I have trouble even saying it. But the impact of that word is profound. If, if we were to try and define that word with another single word, it would have to say that he sacrificed. But the word propitiation means so much more. He satisfied my debt before God. But it, it's even more than that. And this word specifically, well, let me put it to you this way. If you owed, if you owed someone debt and somebody else came in and said, you know what, I'm going to pay your debt for you. So that word propitiation would not be appropriate for that context. Because it, it, the, word, the word specifically deals with our relationship to God, not other people. That the sin has been satisfied between you and God. But it goes even further than that. Not only has your, your debt been paid, it's, the debt has been satisfied, but it, it is a, it's like a, a dual-purpose word. So that it, 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 it signifies the fact that your debt has been paid. But the other side, the other meaning of the word is that you've been reconciled because of the debt being paid. You see how it kind of works together. It's an awesome word. And it, it can only apply between mankind and God. And Christ is the only one who could fulfill that propitiation. Incredible word. Clearly, the purpose was to be the propitiation, to, to satisfy the debt so that we could be reconciled with God. That's the purpose. This morning, we're going to be talking about the act. The act. The title of my, my message this morning is God humiliated himself for me. God humiliated himself for me. I, I, I've said this before. I'll, I'll say it again many, many times. But I believe with all my heart that if I had been the only person to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, he still would have died on the cross for me. And if you, if you read the Bible, you have to believe the same thing. He died for you. He died for me. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let's read. Start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> if, there, <clears throat> if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that, <clears throat> ye, might, that ye be like-minded, living the same love, 
or excuse me, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. <clears throat> but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other rather than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is which all, was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and made, excuse me, and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto, unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. <clears throat> thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. I'm so thankful and grateful for all that you do. We ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that you would encourage us, and that you would help us. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I read a, an article recently entitled this, What Does Christmas Mean to You? And um, <clears throat> if I gave each of us a pen and a, pe a piece of paper, uh, we would all say something different because we are all different. But anyway, I, I, I wanted to read parts of this article to you. <clears throat> Christmas is a time for family reunion. Uh, for family bonding, renewing friendships, exchanging gifts, and going on holidays. Christians around the world celebrate Christmas in different ways, following their beliefs and traditions. Christmas is a time to celebrate. Foremost <clears throat> is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It is, the, it, is, it is meant to bring a message of peace and hope but this is how over this is now overshadowed by the stress preparing for Christmas <clears throat> brings to many people. Now I would agree with that statement. Uh, the the stress of Christmas can definitely over, overshadow the, the the reason for Christmas, and we need to as families we need to guard against that. But anyway, he concluded the article. Or he or she, I don't remember who wrote it actually. Uh, they uh, concluded the article with this statement. Oh, the, overwhelm, the, the overall message is clear. Christmas means to spend more time with family, showing gratitude and love, sharing and making people happy, and remembering the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. These are the general meanings of Christmas for many people. And I would, I would think that many people in this room right now would agree with the majority of what was said. I believe, or I think, that the article describes most Christians today. Christmas is an event that involves a lot of moving parts and somewhere in all that moving those moving parts we throw Jesus Christ into it 
But in reality, should not he be the central point? He should be the focus. And this morning, I want to talk about God humiliating himself for you and for me. Number one, why did God do it? Number one, to bring unity. To bring unity. Look at verses 1 through 4 of our passage. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord in one mind. <clears throat> Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. <clears throat> As I thought about this unity uh, that that the, the the birth of Christ should bring within the church, within families, and so on and so forth, <clears throat> I also thought of an event that took place in what we would call the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly... There was with the angels a, mul- uh, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That event took place in a, in a field where some shepherds were watching their, their sheep in the middle of the night, and this angel came and, and made this, pro- this proclamation to these shepherds. Unity, peace. Is that not all? Is that not what we all want and desire? As I started thinking about this, I <clears throat> I was challenged. I was challenged with something I was reading, and and the author of what I was reading made a statement. He said he said this that there's a big difference between unity and uniformity. There's a big difference between unity and uniformity. Unity is something that takes place from the inside. We can have unity of heart. It starts from within. Uniformity is something that is a result of outward pressure to make us conform. There will be no peace or unity with uniformity. When we are forced to be unified, are we truly unified? No, we're not. We're conforming. And Jesus here is challenging us. Look, look, look at look at well, in verse one, three times the word "if" is used. Most of the time when we use the word if, and then even in scripture when the word is used, it, it is a <clears throat> it is often a conditional word. Okay? Um, if I do this, God will do this. Right? You, you, you know, <clears throat> when Paul writes to the church of Philippians here, in verse 1, he uses the word if. It is not a conditional clause. 
It is a statement of fact. It is a declaration, if you would. Paul uses this word if. In, in, in our vocabulary today, we would probably use the word since or because. So what I did is, this is, this is Rick Lynn's paraphrase here. So please I'm, not, please, I'm not trying to commit heresy here, okay? But I want you to get the impact of, of verse 1. Since there is consolation in Christ, and since there is comfort of love, and since there is the fellowship of the Spirit, and since there is the tender tenderness and mercies, we have verse 4, or verse, excuse me, verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Because of the love of Christ, because of all these things that Christ did for us in verse 1, we can have joy and oneness because of what Christ did for us. Since those things were accomplished. Verse 2 talks about having one mind. And I thought about this. I thought, okay, whose mind? Mine? I'm the pastor. Everybody needs to think like me, right? Why are you laughing? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. We all have to think like Randy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad we all don't have to think like Bob. <clears throat> but, but, <laughs> but you know how, yeah, yeah, now, now I'm serious. I'm serious for a minute. Let's get serious here. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean everybody needs to think like the pastor. We all know that. But isn't it true that everybody's supposed to think like me? Isn't that how we we live? Everybody should think like I think. And if you don't think like I think, then there's something wrong with you. I'm just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> but who but what what singleness of mind? Whose mind are we supposed to be like? Christ. Look at verse five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, <clears throat> because of what Christ has done for us, we can have unity and singleness of mind with Jesus Christ. See, the secret of peace and unity despite our circumstances should be in Christ Jesus. It shouldn't our peace because when the, the the verse that I read, <clears throat> the verses that I read in Luke chapter two, when when the angel was speaking to the shepherds and they, he said, "Peace on earth, goodwill toward men," 
was he saying that there would be no more wars and no more fighting and, and we were going to sing Kumbaya together and do all these really cool things? No. What was he saying? Our peace and our, our unity comes from the one who was born, Jesus Christ. And we can have peace in the midst of horrible circumstances. You don't believe me, go to Kentucky, parts of Tennessee, Illinois. There's a lot of chaos going on there. But I've lived through natural disasters. And people who walk with God can have true peace in the midst of all that. Now, are there people in those places that do not have peace? Absolutely. But if somebody who is walking with God, their peace is not tied to their circumstances. Their peace is tied to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I have a picture for you here. <clears throat> uh, Victor uh, Frankel <clears throat> was a... Uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 Austrian Holocaust survivor, and this is what he said. <clears throat> now, if anybody in the world could say this, it'd be someone who survived the Holocaust. And this is what he said. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. That's an amazing statement especially considering what he lived through. See, we choose, we choose how we're going to live our lives. We are either going to choose to walk with Christ or we're going to choose to walk our own path. It's a choice that we make. And that unity, that peace is tied <laughs> to our choice. Point number two. <clears throat> God humiliated himself for me. One, to bring unity. Two, to show us humil humility. To show us humility. I want to take the next few minutes and I want to look through the, the, the uh, uh, verses 6, 7, and 8. And I want to show you seven significant steps that Jesus took from his heavenly throne to his human body. Seven steps that oftentimes we miss. The first one is he was willing to leave his heavenly glory. He was willing to leave his heavenly glory. We have absolutely no comprehension what he left behind. I, I mean, I have, I have read scripture. I have tried my best to comprehend what heaven is like, and I cannot do it. Gold that is so pure, it is transparent. Streets paved with gold. Gates of the city that are, the, 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 uh, the gates are made out of a single pearl that is so large that a gate could be made out of it. 
we have we cannot comprehend that. It is beyond our ability, and he was willing, first and foremost, to leave all that to come here. I don't know about you, but I cannot wrap my little pea brain around that. I can't do it. It's impossible for me to understand. I hate leaving my house on a cold winter morning. You know, and, and that, I mean, that's just the, the human side of us. But he left heaven's glory. Step number two. But he made himself of no reputation. That literally means that he emptied himself. That's what it means. He had no reputation. He was he completely emptied himself. Now, the logical question would be, at least for me, is he emptied himself of what? And there are some whacked out theologians that teach that he emptied himself of deity. Well, that that, that can't be. Because he was 100% God and he was 100% man. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Same chapter, but verse, th- verse, but verse 14 identifies who the Word is. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 100% God, 100% man. How that happened, don't ask me. But he did it. I believe that he emptied himself of the privileges of deity. That's just me. He was born in a stable instead of a mansion. Should not should he not have been born in a mansion? There were no kings present at his birth. Just Mary and Joseph and a few shepherds. He did not grow up in a palace, <clears throat> but in the home of a simple carpenter. See, Jesus emptied, I believe, Jesus emptied himself of the privileges of deity. Step number three. And took upon him the form of a servant. And took upon him the form of a servant. The word word form here means, means the nature or the character. And the word servant is literally means slave. So he took on the form and the character of a slave. Again, wrap your head around that one. 
This is God in the flesh. And not only did he decide to come and and become a man, but he became the lowest form of man, a slave. He didn't come down and be a prince or or a king or or uh, uh, you know whatever. He came to be a servant or a slave. In Mark chapter 10 verse 45 it says, "For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and he gave his <clears throat> and gave, and to give his life a ransom for many." What did Jesus say after he washed the feet of his disciples? Which, by the way, is the, the, the lowest of lowest forms of slavery was the, the slave who washed the feet of people. In John chapter 13, verse 14, And um, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash the feet of others. <clears throat> wash others. I'm sorry. I'm, I've got so much to cover here. I'm reading too fast, so please forgive me. <clears throat> it ought to wash one another's feet. Those of you that know me know I have dyslexia, and so when I when I try and read too fast, I I, I mess up a lot. So just forgive me. <clears throat> That's one of the reasons we project uh, the verses. So you just you read and don't listen to me, okay? <clears throat> In other words, what is Jesus? Jesus literally, in John chapter 13, is demonstrating to his disciples, hey, just as I have been a slave to you, you need to be slave to others. So does that only work for the disciples? No, that's a, that is an illustration for all of us. Number four. fourth step to his humanity. And the Bible says, and was made in the likeness of men. Was made in the likeness of men. Now, honestly, I, I sat and I thought, how can I best demonstrate the significance of this idea. And, I, and this is probably going to be a poor illustration, but hopefully you'll, you'll get what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> when, when the United States Navy, in their great wisdom, sent me to South Carolina, uh, they sent me to Charleston, South Carolina. And <clears throat> I don't know, six months, maybe a year after I had been there, I had never formally been in, introduced to something called fire ants. <clears throat> Those of you that have met a fire ant know what I'm talking about. Well, <clears throat> as I was hanging out with some friends, we were in this big grassy field, and there was this mound of dirt. Having grown, <laughs> Ashley's laughing because she she loves fire ants, by the way. Or I should say they love her. Um, <clears throat> I, w- <laughs> I was standing, and there was this big mound in, in the middle of this grassy field. And I thought, wow, I wonder what that is. 
<laughs> and I walked over and I kicked it. <laughs> I found out really quick what a fire ant was. I mean, they were on me in just seconds. Those of you that have ever <laughs> encountered a fire ant know exactly what I'm talking about. It is a very unpleasant experience. Now, I'm confident that Jesus was not as stupid as me and went around kicking fire ant hills. Okay? <laughs> but think about this. The God of heaven left heaven, come to earth to take on this fleshly body so that he could be eaten by mosquitoes and fleas, that he could experience what it means to have a headache. Because he, he was 100% man. Working in the carpenter shop, do you think he ever cut himself? I would, I would assume so. Do you, do you think he knew, knew what it meant to have a, a bruise and an abrasion? This is, this is God Almighty. Do you think he had the joy of encountering cockroaches on earth? Probably. I think they were on the ark. I don't know. <laughs> but they survived somehow. I don't know. See, he was willing to put up with the, the things of this flesh. Now, now, I want you to think about this for a second. If you were him and you thought, wait a minute, man, they got mosquitoes down there, and fleas. You should live in the south sometime, man. They, they, got, these, they got these things called uh, sand fleas, chiggers. I mean, you can't go outside without getting something. I mean... It, it, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. I, it, you know, now, now honestly, think about this. If you were in heaven thinking, wow, should I go down there and do this? Yeah, no, I ain't doing that. But he did. He did that. For you and for me. Number Number five. Being found faithful, excuse me, being found in the fashion of, of a man, he humbled himself. The word humbled here literally means humiliated. He humiliated himself. And as I sat and pondered this word, The fact that he inflicted this humiliation on himself should impact every single one of us. He brought it on himself. And as I sat in my office... <clears throat> I thought he did all that 
for me. I know me. I wouldn't have done that. But he did that for me. And he did it for you. That should be a sobering thought. Number six. And became obedient unto death. And became obedient unto death. Think about this one for a minute. The maker of life. We read it earlier in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And anything that was made was made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ made life. And here He was willing to die. I can't comprehend that. The maker of life. The maker of life was willing to die. Earlier we talked about the purpose of Jesus' birth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's beyond our comprehension. Step number seven to his humanity. Not only was he willing to die, but he was even the death of the cross. Look at verse eight. And being found in the fashion, being found in, uh, I'm trying to read too fast again. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, or he humiliated himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Number one, if that isn't humiliation, I don't know what is. Not just to die, but to die on the cross. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, the the latter half of the verse says this, describing Jesus. It says, His visage was so marred more than any man, and His form more than the sons of men. Think about that. His body, the day He hung on the cross, had been beaten so bad that no one, had ever been or ever will be beaten and distorted as much as he was for you. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 7. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and have we we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I started this morning with a quote from Dr. Ennis. I want to read it again. Christmas is the humiliation of God. When Christ humbled himself to take on the flesh of men, it was the ultimate form of humiliation for an almighty God. On the surface, this sounds like a horrible thing. And, 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 and truthfully, this, is a, this can be a very heavy thing for us to absorb. But as I have as, as I have contemplated it and meditated on it and, and thought it through, I it is it, it is an exciting thing that an almighty God would do all of that for me. It shouldn't make us sad. We should be excited to know that God loves you so much that he would do that. That's how much God loves you. And then number three, and we'll be done. God humiliated Himself to bring unity, to show us humility, to to show us uh, humility. And then number three, to bring salvation. To bring salvation. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy and shall be to all people. This event that is about to take place, this birth of the Savior, is for who? For everyone. For all people. For unto you, that is a personal pronoun. And the angel is standing there saying that the the birth is for all people. But then he looks at the the shepherds and he says, and unto you makes it personal. This is a story for you and for me. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto who? You. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. 
His humiliation is my joy. Process that. I can't. Just being honest. I can't. His his humiliation is my salvation. And we could we could plug in a lot of adjectives there. His humiliation is a huge demonstration of his grace and his mercy in your life and mine. All because he loves you. That, my friend, is the Christmas story. Why did he come? He came to die. How did he come? He came humiliated. The act, the act of Christmas. That is good news. We should be excited about what God has done for us. And we should be willing to tell anybody and everybody about it. So this Christmas, I want to challenge you again this week. Make a point to bring every conversation you have this season back to the cross. Because that's what Christmas is about. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, you have been beyond good to us, beyond kind and gracious. And Lord, we just ask that you would, that you would help us. Because we are feeble human beings. We, we all struggle with different things in our lives. And Lord, I ask as we bring our service to an end that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us, dear God, to get just get a glimpse, just a small glimpse of how much you love us. You've been so good to us, so kind and gracious. Your humiliation has brought joy into my life in ways that I can't even describe. Thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you.